Good afternoon, Dr. Spiegel. Hello, Dr. Fitzgerald. I have a question for you. Already? Yes. Okay, great. Ready? Oh, you're like ready today. No, I'm ready. Okay. What do you do for a living? What do I do for a living? That's a loaded question. A loaded question. How, how so? Because mm, I know the way that culturally we ex answer that question. Okay. And I know the problems I have with the question. Mm. I asked that question because it is at, near to the top of the second chapter in Maria Arpa's Mindfulness at Work yes. book. And her chapter two on freedom and sustainability uh, pretty quickly gets to the question of what do you do yeah. for a living. You know what but, I should I mean, have that's, done? I mean, that's a question that people ask all the time. Though, it right? is. So. And you know what I should have done when you asked? What should you have done? I should have used the Paul Fitzgerald response. What do you think I do for a living? No, I was going to say, <laughs> what, what makes you ask? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's start over. Hey, Sherry, good afternoon. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Good. How are you? How are oh, you? Well, I have a question. Great. Okay. What's what your you, question? What do you do for a living? What makes you ask? You see, that is better. That yeah. is better. Um, that is better. Hey, Sherry, be more like me. It would be better. Yeah. Uh, why do I ask? Because, I mean, it's, it's more than just because it's at the top of the chapter. Mm -hmm. When we... I found like with my own self, well, how we, how do you, how do we identify ourselves to people when they ask that, that question is so common and yeah. that's so much. It's like, how is that, how is the richness of that actually to be uh, conveyed briefly? And my, my answer has changed mm -hmm. recently for my own part. It went from, I mostly send email all day <laughs> to I do multi-factor authentication mm -hmm. right, on my phone to get into my email. Um, so, that's what I do for a living is two-factor authentication. Do you know what I typically have said that I do for a living when people ask? What do you do? I stole this answer from Paul Heilecker. Um, I read and write and talk to people about reading and writing. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. I've described it as I talk about science all day to young people. Yeah. But some less young people. I think really, you should just say whoever you just shows science up. All yeah, day. I, I talk about science all day to whoever shows up. No, not even talk about it. You just science. No, I do science all day. I science. But I do like to talk. Yeah. That's we should have a podcast. the podcast. Yeah, we should have a podcast. Yeah. We gave a workshop the other day, and at the end, uh, somebody said, y'all should have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we got that recommendation. Yeah, me too. It's like, I think they're onto something. Yeah, me we too. We should. We should have a second podcast. Ooh, yeah. We'll talk about that later. Okay, we'll later. Ooh, later. Spoilers. Um, yeah, what do we do for a living? Because, I mean, the farther removed I think I am from people, the more I just sort of fall into, like, whatever their job title just sort of is. What did my dad do for a living? It's like, well, he was a systems analyst. And it's like, what the hell is that? Yeah. You know, it's like he did stuff with mainframe computers back in the 70s. Oh, you know, but it's like, you no know, part of that actually describes it's like what he actually did. I don't know his values. I don't know what was important to him. I don't know how he spent his day. I don't know how he navigated his workplace, right? No, yeah. I know none of that by saying he was a systems analyst. Right. But the question's a little... um. Like that's the person who's that asked doesn't it talk is, about the living. Yeah, I mean, the person who asked that question though is still somewhat satisfied by that. They <laughs> are that's by true. that response. So it's like right. mission accomplished. I don't know. But like all of that stuff is the answer to what do I, what do I do for money? Like I don't yeah, like the one. equating what I do for a living with what I do for money. Right, right. We spend I think 
think this might be true for both of us. We'll see. I think I spend more. Let you know if you're wrong. Because when when I, when I think about that question, it's like what what I do for money. I think about that in the context of, well, the people who you know. So I get money from this organization, uh, and this organization gets money from other places. So it's like the 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 employer is sort of the conduit through which the, the pipe through which the money flows right, from right. the from the uh, provider of said funds to the me of said funds, mm-hmm. the recipient. Um, so what do I what do I do per the organization to receive those funds? And it's like, well, I talk about science all day to people to whoever shows up, and, I, and and then I give them grades at the end. Right. And what happens in between is sort of all over the place. But that's not how we spend most of my time in the day. Right. You know, if, I mean, even by the calendar, you know, that is ten hours a week, some lectures, some labs. Mm-hmm. You know, about the same for you. You know, and. Fewer labs, yeah. like zero labs. Yeah, yeah, yes. like zero, far fewer, <laughs> <laughs> like a much fewer. But so it's like, what about what? What do we do in those other time? Right. So it's yeah. like, when you really think about what is my responsibility to this place and why are they giving me money, right? The institution has what it prefers that I do, that it wants me to make sure that I do, and they make sure that I do that by giving me money to do it, mm-hmm. which is sort of the argument ender. And then they evaluate whether you did it. <laughs> yeah, right? then they tell me whether I did it. Mm-hmm. And if I did a good job of doing it, then they let me do it again. Right. You know, and uh, so and so it goes, and so it goes. And but so I, I, we do so much more here than that, I think. Or do we? Or do we? I think we do. And in fact, like, if you look at what our, con- not our contract, like our contract says very little, actually. It does. It says you could have to teach on week weekends like that's kind of what it says but if you look at uh the job postings that we were hired for like those articulate how we spend our time but that's not how people want us to answer the question of what do you do for a living you know like because i could answer well 70 percent of my contractual load is dedicated towards instruction i do another you know 15 percent blah 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 you know like we do service, we do scholarship, creative engagement, blah, blah, blah. Boring. No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> so what they want to know is what kind of person you are based upon what what services you exchange right. for money. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right. You know? So. Um, and uh, I mean, think about like the nuances of this, and this is really here nor there. There's tuition that students pay, of course, but like we get a lot of money from the state. So... It's like the state is paying me to do this and they supplement their income from the student tuition and things like that. But, you know, this whole chapter is on this freedom and sustainability topic. Mm -hmm. And uh, Maria Arpa starts with what do you do for a living? Which I think is is intended to sort of talk about this relationship between what we do and, and the freedom to do authentic things that are true to us. Yet still, we have rent. We have mortgage payments. We have mm-hmm. to eat. Turns out, Northern Virginia is a kind of expensive place to live. Turns out. Turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out. And so, how do you? So it's like no, very few people probably get to spend every minute of their day doing with only the things that they would prefer, and expect to make a livable wage off of that. I don't know. I feel like I'm doing okay. Well, I know, I know, right? But it's like that's a recent thing. Yeah. I think for me, it's true. For as me well, too. that's that's a recent thing. Um, but at the same time, it's like you can make huge amounts of money and do absolutely nothing that you actually want to do 
because that's not your focus. Your focus, focus is kind of making this money. So mm-hmm. this freedom and sustainability, it's like, how do you do both at once? Yeah. Right. How do you, how do you do what you do authentically and with joy and sort of by choice and feeling like we have, um, we're, we're retaining the agency mm-hmm. to sort of do it the way that we want to do it while also having the financial sustainability in order to keep doing it. Right. Right. You know, I mean, and that's the, it, it's, it's how do we keep the living part, you know, right in the equation. Uh, and I think there's two parts of that. Like one, you have to be able to sustain yourself so that you can in fact live, but you also have to make sure that you're still, you know, living a life that's fully alive, right. not just a cog within a, a bigger right. system. But you know, one of the, the sort of themes within this chapter is an idea of choice um, and recognizing that it is, you know, what do you do for a living? There is choice involved in that. Mm-hmm. What have you chosen for your career path? Um, how do you still continue to choose that? Right. Um, and even within the job, like I think that there's a lot of opportunity to choose, um, especially as academics, how we're going to live that life out. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I love being an academic is because I think I can reinvent myself every few years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that was one of the things that originally drew me to academics mm-hmm. is uh, th- this promise of, you know, the field's always changing. There's always new stuff to learn. There's always places where you can grow. And it's like, great, I'll never be bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I, I did realize very soon, and this was not a problem, that it is up to me to make sure that I entertain those opportunities mm-hmm. to learn and grow. And I would say that everything that I have now that I love about my own work is because I, I went at it from this mindset of I'm going to learn and grow and I'm not going to be static. Right. And I'm going to see what the next thing kind of is. And so the, the freedom, I think that to, to choose, as you, as you said, this, this sort of gets balanced at the same time by when I think about how the day goes and how the week goes and how an academic year and my career sort of goes. I still seem to have very little say on like what actually happens to the big, in the big picture environment around me, Mm -hmm. kind of. I mean, I don't make the policies that run this place. I don't, you know, you know, I I don't build my own academic schedule. It sort of gets built for me and I show up in my classroom when it's supposed to, right? So it's like, I don't have that many choices. With yeah. regard to, I mean, it's like I have only choices, right? It's not, you know, choose your own adventure with every step of the way. Right. It's like within the, within the context of what's possible, how, what, what adventure do you choose? Right. And so then it just becomes this matter of recognizing opportunities when they arise. And the choice you make is, is this a yes or is this a no? Yeah. On whether I want to pursue this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, because every so year when the contract comes in the mail, you can choose not to sign it yeah it's like when you're playing donkey kong you don't get to play like you're playing centipede sure it's not the context you're in the strategy is not gonna right right so it's like you have some choices but you don't have every you know yeah so i think the key is like identifying like what are the choices like if you assume there are no choices you will not find any right right but so part of it is figuring out well where are the choices and i think for me um i sort of at some point had gotten in a rut with what i did and thought, well, I have to do this because I've done this. And, you know, it's right. we've been spending some time talking about this a little bit today overall. Like, 
the way um, some faculty, especially this time of year, might feel really burnt out and really frustrated with how things have gone down in their classroom. And some of that might be based on the fact that they're doing things the way they've always done it. Mm and it's not working anymore and so remembering that we actually have a choice in some of the things that we do in the classroom yeah for sure Um, many of us anyway um and even if we don't have choice in the actual activities that we do in the classroom or the content or the textbook or whatever like that we still do have a choice in what mindset we bring into the room each day totally right absolutely Yeah. yeah i would say absolutely and within that, of course, there's good days and there's bad days or easy days, you know, all of that. Right. Um, but I think we have, and I think she she talks about this, Maria Arpa talks about this in the chapter pretty well. I think upon investigation, we end up with realizing that we have more choices than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me anyway, a big part of what, prevented me from recognizing a lot of choices was kind of down the lines of what you were saying. You know, what do I do for a living? It's like, well, I'm a biology professor. And because I'm that, that's what this is what biology professors do. And therefore, I have to do those things because that's how I self-identify. Yeah. You know, so it's like... When did you give up the PowerPoint slides? Yeah. uh, When did I give those up? I mean, I still break one out on occasion. I have have a couple of pretty good ones. But you don't live and die by them. No, but I used to. I -hmm. used to. You know, most of class prep was, you know, tweaking PowerPoints, getting the presentation just right. So that the five people who were paying attention to the PowerPoint slide remember something. (laughs) It's like, this is not working. Um, I remember my early days, I used a lot of transparencies. Five or six, five or, I guess, it's been six or seven years ago. I'm still trying to think, when did I give up the PowerPoint? Yeah. Probably, I I remember myself in the classroom relying more on chalk. Probably about four or five years ago. And so the transition must have been around then. Yeah. Uh, And what I found out is that I cover less material and that the students learn a lot more and retain a lot more at the end of the semester. Isn't that funny? Like you cover less and the students learn more. Yeah. So Hmm. it's like, do do I want them to remember 10% of, you know, 10 things or 50% of eight things? Yeah. It's like 50% of eight every time, right? They, they know a lot more coming out. Um, which is, you know, in, encouraging but countercultural to what the expectation is, you know. And, you know, I, I, I got, I started with PowerPoint as something that I did in my job from very early on in my college teaching career. I mean, the very first college class that I took had 250 students in it. It was mm-hmm. stadium seating. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I got a microphone, lavalier microphone clipped on, and it's like, well, Welcome to teaching, Paul. This is what it's going to be. And so there, there's not a whole lot of room for, you know, I got to make sure the person in the 100 feet away from me in the back of the room, yeah, you know, can can see what's what's going on. And so PowerPoint was, and back then, I mean, I say back then like it was the turn of the, you know, millennium or something, but I guess it kind of was like 2005, six. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a lot of the times, it's like you took over right out of graduate school, you took over the class from somebody and because they weren't yeah. teaching it. So here's all my PowerPoints. Just use those. It's like, okay. And right. so it's like you're given the slides. It's like, well, I guess this is how I'm supposed to do this then. Yeah. And you sort of do it. Well, in those kinds of things, those kinds of um, choices, essentially, like to continue to live and die by the PowerPoint, for example, right. those things drive choices 
that faculty make now, like, oh, we couldn't change the textbook. Yeah, can't change the textbook because I would have, have to change, to change the slides. The slides yes. You know, hear that so often. Yeah. Sometimes so, it goes farther than it's like if I change my PowerPoints, we'll have to change the exam. It's like what? <laughs> yeah. What? What? Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Goodness. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's an aside. Let's well, have a little, a little bit of an let's aside. Let's have a there, quiet yeah. moment for that. Yeah, let's let that. That reality. Out. Yeah. Okay. But um, it's, but it's like the content is kind of the same from all of these textbooks. You realize that, right? Right. Right. Um, so one of the questions she asks, uh, Arpa asks in this chapter, uh, is what would you do? And what she means by that is what would you do if you had access to money to live on, um, without working, um. How would you spend your time? Would you what that you do? Would you still continue to do like yeah. that kind of question? Right. And I think that's an interesting question to ask, and also to reframe for academic context. So, like on the one hand, you know, would you get out of the teaching game if if you weren't just doing it for the money? I think that's an interesting question mm-hmm. to ask. Um, but the other side of that, there's there's a way in which because <laughs> the money is so lucrative. <laughs> <in this. laughs> Rolling in this industry. Um, we all do it for the cash. Um, but the other side of that is sort of thinking about how we approach classrooms. Um, you know, if, um, if we weren't thinking in terms of state guidelines or if we weren't thinking in terms of, uh, whatever other kind of apparatus frames how we think we should pull off our classroom if those things d- didn't exist, would we do the things we do or would we do something else? Mm-hmm. And if we would do something else, what exactly is standing in our, the way of finding a way to bring that? Because that's ultimately what she asks is like, what would you rather be doing? Yeah, and, right. and then ultimately, right. well, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? Um, and I think there's something great about asking that question related to teaching. Like, what's the thing you wish you were doing? Yeah. And then why can't you? Yeah, and with 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 students that I've talked to in the past, oftentimes it's kind of the it goes kind of the same lines of like three things are feeling right now, and it's like the first one is like either hungry or tired, mm-hmm. and then the second one is a little more introspective. And when I ask students like, so what what do you want to do career wise or whatever? What do you want to what do you want to do for a living? Right, mm-hmm. that's the question that I use as well a lot of times. A doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever, and it's usually what their parent wants them to do for a living, yep, or what they feel like they should do for a living to be like legitimized. What they've heard is a good job. What they heard is a good job or legitimized in Way the West or, or wherever they're from or whoever they are. What's the second? Like, what, what would come in second? And they're like a chef in a restaurant, mm-hmm. um, game American, designer. yeah, game designer. America's Got Talent. Um, I you know, the real good, creative, more authentic stuff is like the second thing yeah. that they say and I'm like, go do that second thing. You know, and then interestingly, oftentimes it's like, yeah, but what do I tell my dad? You know, and you get the, it, it sort of comes out that that's... And that's a conversation we can have, Yeah, we, right? can, have, we but, can have that conversation too. Um, the real authenticity also oftentimes is in the what else. What yeah. else would you rather do? Right. And one of my greatest fears, I think, about, you know, retirement, you know, is, you know, God, I'm going to get bored because it's like I, I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love what I do. Yeah. Um, and all the facets of the things that I do. I don't like grading that much and I don't like giving grades at the end of the semester, but yeah. I can sort of get by that because I love the rest of it so much. Right. So it's like, Ugh. yeah, when am I going <laughs> to I'll get bored? You know, I'm afraid I'll get bored. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think when I think about the question of 
what would I do, right? Like if I, if I wasn't trying to make a living, if I was just trying to live, um, if money wasn't in the factor, um, you know, some of the things that show up within what we do in the classroom would still be part of what I would want to do. Uh Like I'd still want to be able to talk in front of groups of people. Absolutely. Right. I would still want to be able to facilitate conversations. Um, I don't think just if I became independently wealthy, Paul, I don't think I would quit our podcast. Yeah. I don't think I would either. I would just get much higher quality gear. Yeah. Well, gear is pretty good, though. So. Our gear is probably is very good. But imagine <laughs> if we gear. had a whole bunch of cash. I would buy some stuff. Maybe like buy some studio stuff. space. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we don't have that. We don't have that. We do well enough, I think. But we do um, have a patron. We have a patron, yeah. <laughs> um, so su- go to our Patreon and support this yeah. most unbelievable life. <laughs> <Da-da-da>. <laughs> Whatever level you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so with the what do you do for a living and like, what do you want to do for a living? You know, it seems that you might be suggesting that when you think about what you enjoy about your job and, and less so, it's more about the nature of the activities. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think you and I are uniquely suited. Well, not uniquely, fairly uniquely suited, though, for this gig uh, because we both uh, like to talk and we both like to be kind of on stage a little bit yeah. <laughs> with groups of people. So uh, I don't think either one of us has stage fright. Like no. it, it doesn't, I know that it does not exist within a single cell within my body. And that is one of the biggest blessings I think I was born with. I was not born with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't born with it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've never had, I had to cultivate it. Uh, I've never had. I used to have like huge mm. amounts of stage fright. Um, teaching made me be able to tolerate um, but I don't know. I, yeah, I was, I had nerves every once in a while, but I dug it more than anything else. I was like, yeah, I can get used to this. this is yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think my relationship to being on a stage or to being out there has really largely changed since college. But now it's like, don't take me off the stage. Yeah. I think nothing has forced me to reconcile self-compassion and forgiveness like being and talking in front of people a lot yeah because it's like there is no safety net here you know you're live and what comes out of your mouth is going to go right into their ears yeah with no chance of revision or edit you know so it's like well sometimes i say stupid things what are you going to do i'm not going to dwell on that right do what i got to do fix it and move on you know so it's like it's a real fast track to uh, self-compassion and, forget, and and forgiveness of for self, right? Yeah. By, the, I mean, the best thing for me is like just keep getting up in front of people and talking, right? You know, and yeah, I, you have to have some self-compassion if you're going to do that because not everything is going to come out of your face perfectly. No, yeah, it's interesting though because I think a microphone in front of me changes my decisiveness, mm. right? Like uh, when the microphone's there. Um, I'm a, a lot le- less hesitant and I'm just kind of like, okay, this is what we're doing. Right. Like throw it out there and see what happens. Um, whereas if I'm writing or if I'm just talking sort of off the cuff, um, I, I get less decisive and like, I'll, I'll get stuck. I'll overthink it basically. Mm. Um, and so when there's a microphone in front of me or a stage in front of me, um, I stop, I stop thinking and I just fall into it. I think ultimately when I'm on in these settings, I hit flow. 
Um, and that's, that's beautiful. Um, but left my own devices thinking can get in the way. It can. It can. I was just telling one of my former students yesterday that thinking is bullshit. Yeah. So how did that (laughs) arise? How did that arise? How did that arrive? Um, I don't know. I get, so he had ran into some Alan Watts videos, uh-huh. right? Um, and so talk, things talking about the danger of the quality of our thoughts or um, how our th- thoughts aren't really the most important thing. Um, and so part of what I was trying to talk about was, which is so interesting. I will change my, my line of thought for a second. It's really interesting that I am now at a place where I'm going to say thoughts are bullshit considering the way my way of being when we started this podcast mm. remember when we recorded the rates of things episode and we were both like "Ooh, who goes with feelings first like yeah, right you know and you were like the body guy yeah, and body, i was yeah. the mind person and now i can't speak for you but now i'm like oh yeah let's start with the feelings mm. which is fascinating yeah, I start right, with the heart now, right, right, right. but because I'm very suspicious of thinking, I am as well. They've not always served me as well as other um, tools. Yeah, or perspectives, you know, or op- their their options. They are. That's I guess that's it. Their options. Yeah, their what, options. What I say when you text me, that's like <laughs> they, those are one option. Th- there are others. Yeah, yeah, that's one. That's one. That's one option. There are others. Mm-hmm. Being it's like. Maybe maybe thinking about it isn't the go back and listen to the race of things episode, right? Um, yeah. You can think your way out of a problem. You can feel your way out of a problem. You can body your way out of a problem. You can dharma your way out of a problem. I mean, there there are other ways out besides thinking. But that's the that's the 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 prison of this place. Right. The academic the academic institution is that this is where we go to think our way out of out of the out of the jam. Yeah. You know, and it's like I think nothing else here's one for the record, right? I think nothing has precipitated the downfall of our civilization more than thinking about <laughs> thinking our way to a solution to a problem. Yeah. You know, it's like think about it. When has that ever helped me? You know, it's like Well we thinking, fetishize thought. You know, think thinking is one way for me to understand a problem, but mm-hmm. it, it rarely provides insight on the solution. And this is even with mathematics and things like that are purely logical. It's like, like we were just talking yesterday about this. You really dig, what is it, proofs? I love proofs. Like, yeah. is, is that a thought exercise? It's like your, your brain sort of works, but you sort of feel your way yeah. through what's the next right step yeah. in that proof. And it's like, yeah, that feels, I feel like I'm going, it's like you say things like that. It's like, I feel like I'm going in the right direction with this. It feels like I'm close, you know? Yeah, you're, you're, you're just stacking up building blocks and you could take an accidental wrong turn. Right. But yeah, I love, I love proofs, but it is, it's kind of a feeling it out. It's a, it's a kind of kinesthetic process. This is getting me nowhere. Time to pivot. Yeah. 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 It's just more, it's not necessarily, yeah, it's a different way of looking at the world. I think. Yeah. Thinking is bullshit and I use it all the time. Yeah. Uh, And it happens by itself. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, but, but I'm not gonna. That's not that. That's not. It, it rarely gets the final say. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because so in the rates of things episode, part of what we were really stumbling across is the fact that our minds, our bodies, and our hearts don't always settle on the same information at the same time. Right. And I have such a different way of thinking about that now because. I used to just. I, I think by the end of that episode, I was just kind of like, well. That's just the way it is. Sometimes the heart leads, blah, right? right? 
but I think what I understand now is that the heart has information the brain doesn't, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so if we just try to ignore the heart, shove it down into a corner and just be like, brain, you're the only one that matters, we're, we're missing important data. Oh, absolutely. Right? And so sometimes, you know, the, the heart, the feelings, like they're pointing to needs that we have that you can't always just intellectualize. Yeah, right. Right? right. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and then, you know, the brain makes stuff. Because that, that's when you, you, we start beating, beating ourselves up by saying, you know, I really feel this way, but I shouldn't need that because I blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I but you do. You know, yeah, it's like I, I shouldn't care whether or not my students talk in class because what's important is that they do well on this exam. And so, you know, I will grade my, I will evaluate my own ability as a teacher by how well they do on the on the test and because that's a true reflection of the logical framework under which I'm employed. It's like, but I, yeah, I'm not going to yeah, do that. that. Yeah, that sounds horrible. So yeah. <laughs> what a horrible way. Yeah. You know, um, every, that's that's a good way to guarantee that everyone has a miserable experience in the classroom because it's like, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, it's like, that makes perfect sense to my brain. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, that makes perfect sense on my annual evaluation. It makes perfect sense on, you know, to, to many, many People, I yeah. think it makes no sense to me as the person who actually has to be in the classroom doing it. Right. So, I mean, that's an interesting example. Like, I shouldn't care whether my students talk in class. Yeah, but you do. But you do. So yeah. what need, like, that care, that concern, what feeling might we name that? Like, that might be frustration. It might be yeah. disappointment, right? Right. So what's the need that we're trying to meet through mm. having students talk in class. Like, what is that need? Uh, community, mm. engagement, yeah, um, shared reality, yep, shared experience. You yeah. know, mutuality, mutuality. Yeah. So, and all of these things are things. Reassurance, that even. Yeah. Reassurance. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I sometimes I ask a question in class, and you like you get nothing. Yeah. You get absolutely nothing but blank looks, and it's like I, I could sort of. By you know, humorously, humor, humorously bypass. It's like, uh, hmm, I thought I said that out loud. Let me try again, <laughs> class. And people giggle, and then right, and then another shot, and, tr and try again with a rephrase or something like that. But because it's like it's it it is important to me. Because like, why should I care? Yeah, you know, it's like hmm, nobody knows the answer, and now they're waiting for me to talk about it. So I'll just move to that. But I mean, you walk down the hallway sometimes, and you see you know, faculty who are, you know, spent the whole class with their back to the student looking at the PowerPoint yeah. that nobody else is looking at, you know, and it's like, oof, yeah, that's not, that's not my way. But, and, but that is the way that for many people, and mm -hmm. I guess their needs are met with that. But it's like when I describe what I do for a living, I don't want to say I show PowerPoint slides to people because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> How, how interesting is that? I you stand know. with my back to an audience yeah. of people while talking about information with very little concern as to whether they yeah. care. Yeah, right. So um, what an interesting conversation. Because so, cause then, like, Maria Ar Arpa says this, okay, so you want to be able to do whatever it is you want to meet all, all the facets of your need, but you still have to get a paycheck for it. Right. Right? So it's like, how do you sort of navigate that framework of this is my job and I have these requirements to continue on in this in this construct of this paycheck, how do I find how do I acknowledge and find the places where there's flexibility mm -hmm. that I can bring authenticity to it? And the way that I always describe my own relationship with uh, my employer is that they give me a very long leash. 
Yes. Right. And um, I think uh, our employer does allow me to figure out what worked best in the classroom and you know do it my way. Mm-hmm. That's what the PhD is for. You know. Right. Yeah. They trust me to do it what I need to do and great. And and so I would like it to be stated for the record that I do see and appreciate that that is true mm-hmm. where I work. You know, um, I'm not micromanaged. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's important to point out, especially like if, as you compare the teaching that we get to do within a higher education, but also within our particular right. institution. Right. Yeah. We do have a lot of flexibility um, in how we, how we meet the, the goals of our classes, right. which is, is really nice. Um, so she also spends a lot of time on, I feel like there are a couple of things and I'm trying to decide which one I want to talk about next. Um, I guess we might as well get money out of the way. Yeah. Do, do we do what we do? Because um, we are trying to satisfy a, a categorical image of what we say that we're supposed to do if we are that thing that we identify as. Or if we scrapped a lot of that and started with absolutely nothing and said, what is the most joyous way that I can satisfy the minimum set of requirements that I have to have in order to keep this job? And I'm flexible with regard to everything else. How much would you dump? Yeah. You know, what would you change? Well, there's like, how much do you keep and why? Um, yeah. You know, how much hustle is worth it? You know, that those kinds of questions. Um, when it comes to money, like, she has this line that I find absolutely delightful. Um, but she says, uh, once you are trapped into thinking that money is the answer to your problems, uh, you have missed the point of finding sustainability. And I think yeah. we often, th- I hear a lot of discussions about how finances are so essential. Like, financial stability um, and how money is the answer to the problems. And I think what's challenging is that when I look at universal needs lists, money is not a universal need. No, it's nowhere on there. Yeah, and she points this out because there are other ways of having needs met, like, you know, bartering systems and things like that. Um, Now, we do live in a capitalistic society, so... I'll give you one goat if you give me ten chickens. I do not have ten chickens to give. Nor this do you have one goat. Nor I have a goat. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, I would be like visiting you more often. Yeah, goats are cute. They are. They're goats very are cute. cute. Yeah, but you're right, though. We need an official Timo mascot, and I recommend a goat. A goat? Okay. Um, totes my goats. Totes okay. my goats. Um, yeah, money's not a need. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because, I mean, I see people all over the place that have very little money and they might not be, you know, as flexible with the lives they can live as people with more money. Uh You know, they might not have the options available to them, Um, but you can't eat it. Yeah. You can't, uh, you know, you can't, you can't drink it. You can't eat it. You can't, it it unlocks possibilities. It does. But in and of in and of itself, it's not the thing. Yeah. And this is a hard one for me to stomach, honestly. I'm a little queasy with it myself. Yeah. You know, because, um, I mean, it's like I'm not the one that doesn't have the money here, though. So it's easy for me to say. Yeah. You know. So, like, 
growing up um, in a working class household, um, like when I was real young, I don't think I understood that money was of interest uh, and outside of our, our, our realm. Um, especially the, the early neighborhood I lived in as a kid because everybody else I ha- lived around had the same means. But right. then when I started getting exposed to other kids who had different kinds of means, um, like a lot of the way that I drove myself early on in my career was because I wanted financial stability. Um, yeah, right. But I also wanted the access to the possibilities that money brings. Mm-hmm. And the more I tapped into the possibilities money bring, the more I realized, yeah, it turns out money wasn't the answer. Mm-hmm. But it does make things easier. It does make things easier. Um, but I think one thing that I find really interesting is that money isn't the need. Um, it's a strategy for meeting needs. Right. And that's... It, it, it is one that is so ubiquitously appreciated that a lot of people that, that it's a lot of people don't see it as a, one way yeah. or as a strategy. It's like if everybody agrees that it's a need, then it, it's no longer a strategy. It's a need, right? So right. it's like no, it really is a strategy. Like that is one way. There are others. Um, well, it's just an extraordinarily highly valued common one. So yeah. much so that it's uncommon for us to encounter. It, in the context of being a strategy to meeting a need. Right. Well, and part of the issue, I think, with saying money is a need is it stops the investigation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, because, like, you, you drill further down and you ask, like, well, what is the need that money is trying to satisfy? Yeah. Well, it's security. It's, uh, it's connection. Uh, it's community. It's I mean, money points to a lot of things, yeah. but it's not itself the the solution. And so, whenever I'm looking at um, programs that are focused on financial well being, again, it's like, well, what's the real level of well being that we're trying to yeah. revolutionize yeah. that finances can assist? Yeah. So. yeah, more money, more problems. That's what Biggie taught us. That's true, too, I mm-hmm. think. It's like, boy, I used to make a lot less and I did not have nearly the... some of the, <laughs> some of the complexities of uh, what happens during the course of a year. Uh, of course, I, that is mitigated by a lot more possibility as well, yeah. though. So. But, I mean, that's it is the... a tricky one, though. It's, it is queasy yeah. to talk about. Well, I think that's why there's research that says once you hit a particular threshold, like everything yeah. else. Is it 75 grand or something like that in America? Yeah, I think it's, you know. I think it is, but I think. It's got to be a little geographically dependent. I think so, because our region is more complicated. More complicated than that. Yeah. But I mean, we always talk about this, you know, it's like we could sell our condo and move to back to Missouri and live like gods, you know, on a hundred acres of. Whatever it is, because it's like the dollar goes a little farther in some places than it does in, in Northern Virginia. Yes, uh, we've ta- Eric and I have talked about this too. the The downside is that you have to live in this yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. right. So yeah, right. You pay the penalty. No offense to any of the fine people, listeners who we know and love and appreciate in all these places, but absolutely, it's like, yeah, 
I mean, it's just, it's not, for me, it's nothing against those other places. It's that I love the place I'm yeah, in. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. And it's so like, it's not like, oh, you have to live in Missouri. It's, I have to not live here. Yeah. You know, you know so. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. For no sure. offense to your, yeah, your no people, my friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no. Hello to all Missourians, right, yes. who are listening to this episode. Well, I... Born and raised in Virginia, so yeah, but yeah. I there are parts of Virginia I choose not to live in any longer. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. What else? What else? What else here? What else? Um, yeah, I mean, she she wraps this chapter up with really this undoing learned helplessness mm. stuff, right? So feeling the feelings of helplessness, I think that some people have in their workplace really do stem from this lack of seeing or this not lack of ability to see choices or, or just the lack of acknowledgement of choices. Um, and really, it really is just a reconciliation. Is it, is it really a lack of choices or is it a lack of seeing the choices you can, you can make mm-hmm. because ultimately the noise, the call comes from within the house it's true. and you know, Ooh, but I can't give that up because blah, blah, blah. And Ooh, I can't give that up because blah, blah, blah. And you know, how often do we hear, Oh my God, Sherry, we really want you to do the thing. You'd be great at it. And if, you know, and if, if nobody doesn't, then the whole thing is going to vanish and go away. Can you do it? You know? Help. And <laughs> so a lot of rhetorical strategy, you know, gets kind of placed into the coercive efforts and trying to do things and trying to get people to do things. Yeah. When it's like, they don't actually have to be yes. Right. You know, it's like if, if, if you kind of renegotiate a lot of stuff, why am I using these PowerPoint slides? Right. You know, I really don't like it that my students have to buy or rent these expensive textbooks. Why don't we just like an open access textbook? Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't that solve the problem? And it's like it's easy and it's free. Yeah, let's just do that. Right. Um, do I, in more revolutionary and and ones that often, other other approaches that sometimes get more questionable looks, do we really have to have exams in this class? It's like, can we just like just do a bunch of work and little group stuff and kind of work on stuff together and get stuff done? Yeah. It's like, it turns out in my experience, it's like people retain just as much, if not more, because they don't have the anxious pressure of always being held to account all the time on a high stakes yeah. one-off event, you know? Right. So, but I mean, when I was, in, when I was in, in undergrad and in grad school, it's like, there's a midterm and a final, and uh-huh. the midterm is half your grade, and the final is the other half your grade. It's like, holy crap. Right. You know, and I mean, uh, if I have two bad days, I have yeah. a zero in this class. Yeah. If I have one bad day, I have a, still have enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, like, those, those kinds of models have been used because, I don't know, they're efficient, probably. Yeah. Um, but are they fair? Are they equitable? No way. Yeah, no way. You know, you know, and if you part of uh, her model for undoing learned helplessness is, you know, to start with understanding what you want. Um, so if the primary thing you want in your classroom is efficiency, then sure, that model works. Because it's extremely efficient. Yes. But if what you the primary thing you want in your class is to build community and um, create a context where engaged learning can happen, two tests may not be the choice they might not be the choice because yeah. i mean if if that's true then every moment of the class is about what's going to be on the test yeah you oh know? yeah because it's like you i mean you 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 get what you, you you get the behaviors based on what you test right you know yeah and i like i'm not interested in teaching people how to take a, a test for me because right. 
never again in their life will they need to take a test for me. It is the most useless life skill yeah, ever. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. how to learn how to pass the test that Sherry Spiegel is writing. It's dumb. I used to tell the story that, you know... Also, I'm very bad at writing tests. Yeah, me too. It's like, I'm not interested in that for like 15 reasons. And, and the arguments for me used to be that... A good multiple choice test takes me about three hours to write. It takes them about 10 minutes to take. You know, it's like the division of labor is off on that a little yeah. bit. Um, not as efficient as we think it it's is. not as efficient as we mm-hmm. think it is, no. Um, and it's like, I would say that, you know, previously when we had cats, my cats could do a multiple choice test. It was great. <laughs> they were so spoiled, they ate different food. And one of them would eat this food and the other one would eat that food. And they were able to go to the correct bowl with 100% accuracy <laughs> every time. My cat's going to do a multiple choice test. Which of these two options is the right answer? You got the right every time. It's like, I'm not impressed by your ability to circle B on that question. My cat could do that. You right. know, they can see it. They can recognize the right answer when they see Circling one. Circling might be it's hard. Not, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not what I'm going for, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but, then, but then I made it even worse. I did... The, the the knee jerk kind of boneheaded thing is I know what I'll do I'll have all essay exams and it's like oh. I have in, it takes me uh, ten minutes to write that test it takes them an hour to take it and then it takes me two months Three to grade it to, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like well I think it made it worse actually it, you know it's it's a better strategy for getting to getting to true knowledge but it, it's not sustainable yeah it's not sustainable you know and it's like I'm you know I, I I frantically finished grading the previous one like the day before or as I'm administering the next one in class. It's right. Like, it's like, it doesn't work. You know, you guys, you guys go ahead and take test number three. While you're doing that, I'm going to be still grading test number two up here, mm-hmm. which I've been had my eyes on for a month. Um, so that's why it's like, you know, there's a, a lot of ways to evaluate. Yeah how you know what what somebody's doing in a class right there are other ways that don't even have the word exam or test in them right you know it can be you know group assignments you know submit some audio talk me through this concept here's some chalk walk us through right you know here's a worksheet let's go through it together you know um and the uh, the final exam i gave today you know there was a there were a couple of thought biology related thought experiments that they had to do it's like mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead and group up you know, go for it. It's like, can we use our notes? Yes. Can we do groups? Yes. Why do you think you yes. took the notes? Yes. Why are the, what are the notes for if you're not going to use them? Yeah. I use notes that I've taken all the time. I'm, I have a chapter two right in front of me right now. Indeed. I didn't memorize it to record this podcast. You know, <laughs> This podcast is open notes. Yeah, it's open note, open book, group, <laughs> group assignment. Yeah, collaborative assignment. Yeah. Why, you know, what is this? Yeah. You know, when when is, is has it ever been, it's like you have to memorize everything and then you're on your own and you can't collaborate with anybody that never happens it's like talk about workplace preparation and, and you know readiness yeah. for for the workplace it's like a multiple choice test is not it yeah it's not it you know? right yeah so i mean it's interesting because so so part of that indicates this what she's framing as a way of getting out of learned help helplessness which is understanding what you want which is very clear what you don't want yeah you do not want the want the multiple choice test. Um, and then, you know, her second step is to learn the skills that help you to get what you want. And I think with teaching, like, that's really important. Like, understand what you really want to happen in the classroom. But then next to understand that what it takes to facilitate what you hope to happen in the classroom might actually require 
a skill set that is beyond content knowledge. Yeah, right. Right, like what it takes to create a classroom where community is built is really hard. That's hard. And I don't always get it right. Um, Community is hard. Yeah. And it can be done. Yeah. And it can be done. Yeah. You know? Um, I think a good place to start is to see that your students in there are people that mm-hmm. have needs <laughs> and everyone is different. Yep. And so what is the place to start, you know, is let's try to find some shared reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am Paul. I teach biology. Who are you? What do you do? What do you do for a living? You can ask Student populations, what yeah. do you do for a living? Yeah. 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 Uh, but it, but I mean, some of it I think comes back to asking that question, but in a different way. Like, you know, who are you and what do you do while living? Like, what does living yeah, right. look like for you? That's the question. Like, I would much rather ask someone, what does living look like for you? What do you do with your, what do you do with your living? Mm. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's still about money. What do you do with your living? Yeah. What do you do as a living? What are you living? What is living for you? What is living for you? That's a question I'm interested in answering. Yeah, me too. But what do you do for a living? It's like you're at the service of something else when it's raised that way. Yeah. Unless it's something like really interesting. Goat herder. Goat herder. Well, you know, that's not bad. I'd be interested. I'd be interested in that, too. There was a friend of mine who, uh, on her campus this week, they brought baby goats. We've done that here before. For exam week. Yeah, we've done that here. I know, and we have no goats this week. Not one goat has been seen. Mm-mm. Nary a goat. Nary a goat. Nary a goat hath been seen. Mm-hmm. Alas. Uh, I blame the herders. Yeah. Herd them this way. They have found freedom. And sustainability outside of our college. Outside of the college. So next week is chapter three. I'm not quite sure what the title of that one is. So tune in and find out. Tune in and find out. Yeah. (laughs) Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Yeah. Right. Uh, A lot of fun, though. Yeah. I I really enjoy this book. And I've got to say, every time I go back through the content of it, um, this is like my third read through at this Mm. point, um, every time we're recording. um, And I find new ways of of coming to it and re-understanding my own living uh, as yeah, I do. Right. So it's cool. Right. And this, of course, still goes back to what are we trying to do here, right? How do we, if, if we're going to be in the positions that we're in, if we're going to be engaged in the life we're having, where a significant part of it is in this employment kind of thing, mm-hmm. how much flexibility and how much room do we have to really be who we are? Yeah. You know, and... and do the things that we love and spend as little time as possible doing things that we don't love mm-hmm. and still, you know, get the ends to meet in the end. Yeah. With the, with the, the paycheck Ola. Um, well, it starts with a little curious investigation about how we spend our time and what do we do because we are required to and with the, with the job and what do we do because we feel like we should. Yeah. And how do we want this to go down? And how do we want it to go down? Mm-hmm. What does the ideal day look like? Well, you still did everything that you had to do. Yeah. That's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The where, perfect day. Where you do all the things. Where everything got done. And nothing you did felt like... Work? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say drudgery. Like some things, some things feel like work, but I'm glad I do them. A day without, what would a day without resistance look like? Mm. Is that it? Well, but I don't know. Because sometimes resistance shows up in me, not because I'm resisting the work, but because of other things. Like I need a snack or I slept yeah, poorly the true. night before. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I don't think we can live without resistance. Yeah, that's truly true. true. Um, so it's something else, but it's, I don't know what it is yet, but it's the day without, it's the day without resentment. Yeah. Because even if I find resistance, like, ugh, I don't really want to do this, am I resentful of the fact that I have to do it? If so, then there's an investigation to be had. Or, or like, um, I'm able to respond to, to all daily challenges uh, with satisfaction. Yeah. You know, and even if that even if that response is, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yes. you know, I'm going to step down from that committee. I'm not, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's a it's a an ability to meet the day as it unfolds. Yeah, right. And at the end of the day, not finding the need to escape the day or numb yeah, the pains out. of yeah. the day. Yeah. Um it's it's a presence within the day and a satisfaction after the day. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Who good. wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Cool. Well, it's about time to check out in a satisfactory way yeah it is it is awesome with satisfaction indeed what a wonderful day indeed thank you sherry thanks paul thanks everybody we'll see you soon bye, bye. yeah